Good morning, everyone. I'm an island boy for this show. <laughs> island boy with my special mic. Instead of Mike Diamond, I got the bigger mic, which is perfect because we're going to be talking about stuff that he knows about uh, with my man, Dan, here. Welcome, Dan. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, David. Mike. Hey, Dan. Awesome. Dan Pantello is the CEO of Marpipe which enables advertisers to build modular creative. And uh, he is just uh, uh, on the cutting edge of how business changes so quickly. And since Mike and I are both middle-aged mutant turtles, um, you know, give us a little bit of background on, you know, kind of the future of crypto creative and what exactly crypto advertisers should understand and what you're doing to bridge art and science in this, in this great business called Marpipe. Yeah, absolutely. So Marpipe, for context, actually is a, it's a platform that automates the process of building and testing ad creative, right? So when businesses are advertising today, no matter who you are, whether you're direct-to-consumer, B2B, whatever it is, if you're putting money behind ad creative, the most important element influencing your performance is actually what your ads look like and what they say. Right. That's the most influential element. And so how do you know if that's so influential? How do you determine what your ads should look like? And uh, if you ask that question to any marketer or creative that's been around for a while, no one really has a good answer for you. Right. The process is pretty much just making pretty pictures and guessing and checking. It's just arbitrary taste making. That's how creative is made today. It's either like, oh, do we like this? Do we not like it? And so um, there's no data and science behind the process as it currently stood. And so Marpipe essentially seeks to automate and inject data and automation into the process of actually making ad creative. We do this by building a design platform where uh, a creative from a brand can come in, build an ad, we'll make hundreds of different versions of it, immediately to blast that out against your live uh, audience on social or wherever it is that you advertise, Google display, and tell you really quickly, not just which is the best possible case scenario for this ad, what's the best version, but also why, like what do people, which visual variables do people love or hate most about your brand? Which colors really drive the, the difference? Which messaging variables and so on? The reason this is important for crypto and the kind of intersection here is that a major announcement was just made uh, that I think has gone really under the radar and I think is so influential uh, to, the, to the advertising space, which is that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, uh, <laughs> Meta, has uh, just announced that they are going to be accepting crypto uh, and Web3 brands as advertisers on their platform. This is a major deal because it's the first digital advertising platform that has taken crypto out of the banned category. Previously, crypto was in the same category as firearms and pornography. It's just been completely banned. Now, it's uh, been taken out of the banned category. And with the amount of venture capital money that has poured into this, crypto and Web3 has been the number one place for VC investment over the past year. That money needs to be invested into growth. It's a very noisy space. Companies need to acquire users, stand out. How do they do that? Well, you know, previously that money had nowhere else to go. Now it can actually go and, you know, they were doing things like buying stadium rights, sporting events, you know, now it can finally go into the internet economy and actually, you know, actually do digital advertising. And so we're actually find ourselves in a place where we're serving as like an on-ramp for a lot of crypto brands, because what better way to get involved in a new space than to test as many things as you can, as fast as you possibly can to figure out what works. So we find ourselves at this kind of cutting edge where 
a lot of these brands that are now pouring money into digital advertising can now look to something like Marpipe to actually figure out what their strategy should be. Super exciting. You're speaking my language. I love, I absolutely a uh, big fan of what you're doing, Dan. What's, are you starting to find any similarities? I know, I think historically, well, at least I think I know with food and restaurants and things, it's like oranges and yellows on the signs and in advertising. Is there something that you're starting to hone in on in crypto and with NFTs and blockchain that, you know, more people resonate with than others? Yeah. Well, so with crypto, I'll say two things. It's a little bit too early to tell for some of the things that we're kind of starting to see, actually, um, you know, we're keeping that kind of within our, our customer community right now, because those are kind of really valuable insight or like early insights that are emerging right now. Um, but I can tell you for sure that when it comes to other industries outside of crypto, uh, you know, when it comes to kind of CPG brands, direct to consumer B2B companies. Yeah, absolutely. We see tons of like uh, really just like, unexpected and counterintuitive creative trends that you would never expect to be true. And we actually publish a lot of those on our social media. So if you like follow Marpipe on Instagram, you actually see like a bunch of those insights uh, there. And so we're building stuff like that for crypto now too early to put it out there yet. So that's where we're at. And what types of companies, you know, beyond individuals, what type of companies are interested, you know, and, you have credibility with this type of, you know, representation, right? I obviously am a creator myself. I probably put out more content than most people or most businesses. Uh, and through that consistency, I've been able to figure out what works and doesn't work. But at the drop of a hat, what used to work may not work again. And, you know, you that's why being consistent uh, is the most important part of that. How do you deal with the dramatic changes that occur especially in the world of crypto? Yeah, well, that's a it's a great answer because it's like if we find an insight... Um, we keep score, by the way. We keep score on good questions, Dan. It's a good, <laughs> sorry, I said that's a good answer. Wait, <laughs> yeah, good we're, we're not pointing that That's a loss of a point. <laughs> I, we knew what you meant. You knew that was an extraordinary <laughs> question. From the he gave himself a answer. I, I was double. I was just giving myself all kinds of points. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, look, uh, the it was like it's like you know you know like when they show the uh, the on ESPN they show the worst plays of the week and the guy scores a goal the wrong way. That's like you <laughs> saying, "Hey, that's a great answer." That's yeah, a great you answer. Scored the yeah. goal the wrong way for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it will be a great answer. Uh, All right. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, you're David. You're right, man. Da- data expires, right? So, like, if we f- if we find an insight that we knew to be true like six months ago or twelve months ago, how do we know that it's, it'll still be true today? The world is changing. Consumer preferences are changing. Everything is always changing. Um, I think that's a quote from Logan Roy from Succession. He's like, everything is always changing, always. Um, so, so the answer to that question is to always be testing. Right. Like in sales, there's like always be closing and in, in, in creative and in advertising, it's always be testing uh, ongoing testing and retesting your assumptions that were previous that you, you kind of found to be previously true. And knowing when that data expires is, is, is key to essentially it's insurance against creative fatigue. Right. We know that when you find like one hero ad, an ad that works really well. That's not going to work well forever, right? At some point, it's going to fall off a cliff. Okay, well, when that happens, you want to you want to have the kind of the next runner up, the next hero ads already lined up and synced up to take over for that one, so you can pour your scale spend behind it, right? And so, all we essentially like best practice right now 
80 to 90% of your monthly marketing spend should be going towards scaling the winners. And then 10 to 20% of that spend should be going to always be testing <coughs> new things so that it's like you have this kind of insurance against creative fatigue and failure and you're always learning new things. Love it. And how long does it take to get to that point where you can distinguish between your winners and your always be testings? Because every time, you know, I know when I've worked, God bless you, worked with companies, it's like, hey, let's put this together and we'll get it figured out. You know, how long does it take to dial all of that in? Well, so being a kind of operating system for creative testing where we like, so like you're explaining some of the biggest pain points in creative testing, like creative testing. It's a it's so important to business success. But it's like it, it's a totally like manual, completely inefficient process. Like you've got to have people churn out the ads and make them. You've got to have the agency or whoever's running your stuff like launch them one by one into a test. How do you know when it's been statistically significant and when you've collected enough data to end the experiment and say we've learned something, right? <clears throat> I mean, all of these things are like big question marks. And like we've got CMOs who kind of lean in and ask us these questions all the time. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we've kind of that, that's why automating this process is like so important. And, you know, what, what we've built over here on our end is like a live statistical significance calculator that actually tells you when you've collected enough data to like end an experiment. So like no, no platform today, no digital platform tells you like it's a complete black box. Right. Because they're kind of incentivized by you spending more and more and more money. Right. And we've kind of we monitor that data and actually tell you when you've spent enough money to conclude an experiment so that you don't end up overspending and being wasteful with your experimentation. So that's built in. That's awesome. The other thing is, you know, managing the expectations, Dan, of the KPIs themselves. So I've done a ton of work with an entrepreneur and, you know, it's interesting because there's so many aspects to, you know, what's the value of the entrepreneur brand Uh, impressions, uh, following downloads, uh, views, which are different than impressions and how long the views, Um, how do you manage the expectations? You know, especially when you sometimes aren't even dealing with the executives because they don't know anything about it. You're dealing with a middle manager or an agency and their job is to cover their ass and just over-exaggerate numbers. And the whole thing is vapor uh, in my experience. E- even, you know, I-, I try to give some serious KPIs because I have a lot of people that work with me and my content. And, you know, what are the ones for you or how do you manage the expectations with the KPIs of, you know, what, what's the difference in, in, of downloads compared to impressions, compared to views, et cetera? Yeah. David, that point you're making about how it's all vapor and a lot of it is is kind of like high-minded BS and how a lot of marketers and middle managers are incentivized to kind of paint a much rosier picture than reality. I would do one of these for that because, you know, that was an observation, not a question, but a really yeah. good observation because it's totally true. I'll take the right? points, man. I got to catch up to Mike. <laughs> this guy brings some serious questions. I got to catch up. Marino's not here, so we get, we get to jump on his butt. He'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> so, I mean, look, you know, it's true because the, you know, um, math and science brings truth, objectivity, uh, abstract art uh, brings subjectivity and, and room for interpretation in, in gray laundering. areas, in, right? In subject in money laundering, it, you know the uh, those subjective art pieces are great to launder money, as I heard. 
<laughs> that's that's right. You've got NFTs and all of that happening. I mean, no, this thing's worth six million dollars. We'll just wire it over there to Cyprus. We'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you look at the advertising industry today, like a lot of things like placement, you know, uh, like the placement of your ads, the bidding, like what price you pay for impressions, um, audience targeting, all of that is like kind of automated. Those things used to be an art, right? There used to be the days where it was like, hmm, should I run my ad on ESPN.com? I'll call the guy who runs ESPN.com and whatever, work out a deal with him, right? All these things used to be art before. And it could be fuzzy and room for interpretation. Now it's really been stripped down to a science. When you look at advertising creative, it's that one area of the advertising workflow that hasn't been made into a science yet. It still looks like an art. And a lot of, if you want to have someone make ads for you today, you're going to hire someone who looks a lot like a kind of traditional artist, right? Like a creative. What we're, what we're going to see in the future very quickly right now is this is shifting very rapidly into the creatives of the future will look a lot more like scientists and engineers, because the process of making creative will be an entirely data-driven process where fluffing and being able to kind of say, oh, I think this will work. Now I have to defend my ego, right? Now I have to kind of, you know, drive that point home and, and, and explain why this was a win, right? Let's kind of eliminate that factor from the entire process and focus strictly on business efficiency and the efficiency of the process, right? And so, like today, it's like that, but in the future, it won't be. When it comes to specific metrics um, about like what we should be measuring to determine success, you know, that's different for every business, right? So like when we work with a brand like Crocs, right, they care about reach um, and, and impressions, right? When we work with Quip, they care about purchases. And then when we work with a brand like Segment B2B, you know, they care about leads. You know, for a brand like yours, David, you probably care about um, – uh, I, I would guess probably reach and impressions or traffic to your website. Um, and so, and the only, you know, yeah. So the only difference there too, cause I got to get to the guy, uh, to Jeff in the green room. Yeah. The, the, the only difference is, you know, a lot of people ignore spectrum. I meaning they ignore audience, Dan. So one of the things I think that is attributed to the great success that we've had is that I'm very focused in on the guy. I know, for example, the CEO of Taco Bell does not follow me. He ha he's been on my podcast, but doesn't download the podcast, but he watches me, right? And so that that one relationship of the CEO of Taco Bell who watches me and likes my stuff and hires me to speak at the speaker series and annual meetings, a revenue generating event since, you know, I'm blessed to be a six figure speaker now, like that's what people need to get down to. And a lot of times people aren't asking the right questions. And I think you do that so well because you have a real grasp on the reality and quantified value of creative. And a lot of people, just like you said, are the vapor surface players that can make up impressions and views. And, you know, because that's what the CEO wants to hear. You know, it's like a little kid who, and, and my own kids are like this, right? They're counting off how many likes they get. And I'm like, dude, if you want likes, I can buy you likes. I don't care if anybody effing likes me. You know, sometimes it's better if they don't like you. You know, you know, look at Portnoy. More people don't like him than like him, but he does extremely well because he knows his audience. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important for people to learn. And what Dan does so well um, is all of these details put into context. And I think, you know, as far as your company, I think that's where I would brand your company is look, no fluff. Let us put this data into 
context of what you want and who you can help and who can help you. And now we're talking about a serious value. And that's why when I'm looking at your company, I wanted you on here because you're one of the few people in the space that are quantifying that value in being effective of what you want. So uh, we're going to have you back on. This is a, a deep topic, obviously, uh, not just for crypto, but for everyone. So thank you, Dan. We, we appreciate you. We got Jeff in the wings. I got to keep on schedule. Uh, Thanks, David, Mike. Thank you, Dan. Stay blessed, yeah, Dan. Great work. All right. Have a good one. You got it, man. You got it. So that was amazing. Uh, Jeff Lambert's on deck here. He's been waiting patiently. The CEO of Ticker, ticker.com. Uh, and it's a fintech software. Uh, and just uh, one of the, the more uh, innovative things that we can utilize today um, for investors. And, you know, Obviously, I'm a big timing and risk tolerance person, Jeff, and what you do, I think, applies to understanding uh, your own timing and risk tolerance and aligning synergistically and supplementary what you're investing in. Give us a little bit of background beyond just having an incredible domain name <laughs> that's probably worth more than the startup because uh, that is a great, great uh, domain. Give us an idea of what distinguishes Ticker in, in the space. Well, it's funny, uh, you know, the domain name uh, process, you're going to look at buy one. There, there's some really funny ones on the cutting floor that uh, I won't mention, but uh, <laughs> happy to get ticker uh, ticker with two eyes for individual investor. Uh, but really what it does is connects public companies to their individual investors. And for all you individual investors out there, it gives you the rewards of ownership. And there's no such thing as a shareholder loyalty platform. Uh, and it's because uh, online investors are all invisible to the public companies. And so 130 million Americans who uh, buy and sell stock, uh, the, the, they're, they're a consumer audience that's bigger than most demographics and they're completely unreachable. You can't target them, you can't connect with them as a public company. So that's what Ticker, Ticker is. I've been doing investor relations for 25 years and this was solving my own issues uh, in many ways. <laughs> You, you know, Jeff, that's the key. We talked to uh, Sharon Lecter months ago, and she said the most successful businesses uh, provide solutions. And this is an incredible solution to a massive problem, that disconnect. And we see it with technology now, with NFTs that have been mentioned in blockchain. We're now peer-to-peer -peer between creators and their, their audience and, you know, eliminating the middleman, so to speak, in many ways, being the way that we go in the future. As an individual, as you know, an investor myself, when I'm looking to ticker, am I looking at it different than I might look at other companies if I'm looking at investing in stocks, or how do I approach this? Well, I think you you approach it as a way to uh, to find out the, the brands that you love. Are they publicly traded, for instance? So you can do a, a search on, hey, I didn't know that Sebago was owned by a public company, or I wear Converse and they're part of Nike. So this discovery part. Uh, so brands that you can invest in. Conversely, I own stock in Whirlpool or Carlots or Disney or Ford. I didn't know that they have a shareholder loyalty program. And the reason why there's not more of these perks programs or loyalty programs is these companies can't verify their owners. And that's the key thing is if we can verify, hey, you own 100 shares and you've owned it for, for 30 days, you're a legitimate retail investor, not a day trader. Uh, I would love to give you the perks of ownership. Who's more loyal than owners? And so that's really what it is, is that the fintech industry has come up 
to a point where there is the technology to link accounts and everyone's got a wallet. And, and so now it's become ubiquitous, but no one thought, hey, what if we use that technology to connect this disconnected audience that again, is your most loyal consumer mm -hmm. audience? Incredible. Oh, that's amazing. Now, the Jobs Act changed a lot of the face as you've been in IR for a, a long time uh, without having to be an accredited investor. Uh, how has that for you brought in the scale and scope of the education in the market and the solution and platform that you're providing? How has the Jobs Act specifically helped you or how what dangers kind of lurk that maybe our government didn't anticipate when they allowed the individual investor. Yeah, you know, I think the, uh, the the Jobs Act allowed for you know equity crowdfunding for private companies was the key thing. It took a long time for rulemaking, and we actually stu I stood up a uh, stood up a crowdfunding equity site and took it down uh, two years in, waiting for all the the crowdfunding rules to be written. But what it what it did is it began this process of democratizing what Robinhood has talked about democratizing individual investing. Uh, but it also created a new audience. I think ultimately Ticker should have a private company platform uh, because again, if you are invested, you want to buy those those products. And so you're gonna drive past Burger King to go to McDonald's if you're a shareholder. That's natural human, uh, human activity, human interest and brand loyalty, but there was never a way to connect those individuals. And so I think the Jobs Act where retail investing has gone, free trading, all of those things say, it's now become almost a entertainment or recreation, uh, but people are still buying brands that they know and love, you know, five, six, 10 times more than this is a really good stock based off its fundamentals. And so you see the most widely held stocks by individuals are Apple and Tesla and McDonald's and Disney. And that's because you maybe grew up as a kid on it or you know, you, you, you use it, you shop it, you, you wear it. And that's really what Ticker does is connect the, those two, those two pieces. Jeff, how much of this is built out on a traditional platform versus utilizing blockchain? Because so much of what you're saying is just so incredible and, it, and it's so analogous to what we're seeing with blockchain and NFTs. You know, if I, if I own a certain NFT, um, they show their, their appreciation because I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have an extra one that gets airdropped into my wallet and your consumer loyalty programs very similar. So is that something that you're utilizing or contemplating and how does that work? So if I'm a, uh, an investor in a company and there is some brand loyalty award or program, how am I rewarded? Yeah. So I think actually we'll see companies uh, giving NFTs as stock perks. And I think that's absolutely coming. Uh, we, we are, we're launching our own NFT. Uh, and it really came out of, hey, we should do crowdfunding for Ticker. I raised some capital a couple of years ago. It's, it's obviously con con connected to consumers. And so we wanted to make a handle for your sign on for, to Ticker. Hey, how about your personal Ticker symbol? So your, yours would be Mike, right? And yours would be yeah. Dave and mine would be Jeff. And, and so we use TII as ubiquitous prefix instead of NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange or OTC is TII. And so there's... So we're actually NFTing individual ticker symbols, which is interesting because cool. AAPL or NKE or DIS for Disney, those are not trademarked. And so we put a TII in front of it. We can NFT it, put it on the blockchain, and you can have one and only the only ticker symbol in the world. And there's 475,254 options, four letters, three letters, two letters, one letter. So 
it's, it became an idea of, hey, what do we give for a perk? And so now it's going to be uh, something that we, we offer to our, to our investors, to consumers as a way to, uh, as a way really we think is the first personal branding NFT, but it's a different way to, to identify yourself. And so that's one way we're doing it, but we're, it's built on both web-based and apps. So we've got, we've, we've got the app, but it's also web-based. The reason why it's web-based is the marketing. Dan was talking earlier, and by the way, I'm going to be a customer of Dan's. So I think what he's doing is really smart. Uh, but I, but you know we, the web-based allows you to, us to target audiences. So maybe maybe Carlots wants to conquest CarMax shareholders because by the way those shareholders are consumers, or Nike wants to conquest a uh, Wolverine worldwide, or Wolverine wants to conquest a a, a shop another a shoe company. So this is these are the opportunities to to really uh, target the audience because eight in ten consumers will will uh will shop at the brands that they own so again if you're if you're an owner if you're an owner 82 percent will uh, will actually prefer that brand because they're an owner wow yeah i was going to ask as the last question here you know loyalty is so important engagement and loyalty and that's what ticker.com really is uh enhancing for all types of individuals as well as brands and understanding how this works and coordinates together. So uh, in that relationship of credibility and emotional attachment, how have you found that, you know, Ticker has developed or enhanced credibility uh, for, you know, the entity or person? And then two, the emotional attachment you kind of touched on already. People, you know, move with who they invest in. Uh, but the credibility side, I think, is part of loyalty as well. Yeah, it's 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 really that's the, our biggest challenge, quite frankly, is this is a new industry. So loyalty has been around. It's a fifty six billion dollar industry, uh, but there's not really shareholder loyalty uh, for public companies and their retail investors. So our biggest challenge is investor relations professionals have been trained to ignore retail because they're they're needy and it's small amounts. And so we just ignore them. Conversely, the CMO or marketers or CEOs are like, wait a minute, you're telling me I have 500,000 retail investors? You know, AMC, AMC has 3.4 million retail investors and they've obviously nurtured that, but those are all consumers. Yeah, most of them invested over $60 uh, right. price, which I wanna point out just on financial literacy problems. So I, you know, I have too, too many friends and family telling me that AMC is going to 5,000 and I'm trying to get a little bit of financial literacy into the game. So go ahead. Fundamentals, fundamentals still matter. I'm with you. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yeah. Well, Jeff, Mike, we have time for one more. Yeah, Jeff. So that being said, what is, you know, what's the future with regard to how much of this is going to employ, I think, down the line, AI and machine learning to help you? You alluded to some of what um, some of the other people, some like Jeff's doing and others, but how much of this is going to employ some of that down the line to really help focus in on who the best suited individuals would be and the most, most profitable opportunities for them? I think that's actually a big part of we, what we built in our engine uh, is, awesome. is to look at and say, okay, you drive a Jeep, you might be interested in owning, you know, owning a Stellantis, but you also might be interested in owning Timberland. And wouldn't you like a stock perk from Timberland or Wolverine or Merrill Footwear? And did you know Merrill's part of a public company? And so the lifestyle, how you how you buy stocks is highly correlated to brands that you love. 
And so that's the AI opportunity is to say, Mike is a Rutgers grad. Uh, by the way, my managing editor is a Rutgers grad. And, nice. and so you're a Big Ten guy and you, you know, you, you, you're an entrepreneur and you've got these different opportunities in your life that you, that you enjoy. You might be interested in this stock, which has a perk attached to continued ownership. So we think there's a metric out there that's yet to be tracked shareholder lifetime value. But how much how much stock do you own? How long have you owned it? And how much do you spend with that public company? So that's that's where we're going so with all great. this. So great. And that's I am blessed, amazing. David, I am blessed to be to have found this, right? And I, I love that hat. And it's it's cool to be in this in this spot at my gray haired, you know, ripe age of fifty. Yeah, man, we we got three uh, three of us silver here. foxes. That's right, exactly. And we're all we're all over fifty. Mikey just turned fifty a couple of weeks ago. We celebrated uh, California, Florida, Lucky all birthday. over Port Portugal. We I, we did it up the right way pre pre the COVID <laughs> spell, so we're all safe and sound. I did and, uh, I did mine in Cabo, so absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Congrats. We will keep our eyes. Come back to visit us. I'm going to figure out how I can use sticker as well. And I'm glad you're going to yeah. reach out to Dan. Thank For you sure. uh, very much. We'll talk to you soon. Let's stay connected. Boy. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. Jeff. Jeff All Jeff. right. Ticker.com with two eyes. Jeff Lambert is the CEO of T I I S K E R, uh, the individual investor. I, I, um, so great. Lucky, we're, we're, uh, I think Alvin's having some technological difficulties. Difficulties. So let's do a takeaway of the day and see if we can stall a little bit before we bring him on. Yeah, you, uh, you, you said it and, and you reminded me of it early uh, in today's episode and it's know your audience. And that just applies in life, whether you're talking to your spouse or your children or your, or your friends and family and your businesses when you're looking at your customers and your patients and whomever it might be. Know your audience. It's because and you always talk about it, Dave. It's not what you say. It's what they hear. And the more you know them, the more they'll hear what you're actually saying and it'll resonate deeper. Yeah, no, you know what, really, I, I love that. You know what is my takeaway is that, you know, especially with me, you, Jeff, uh, but Dan gets it, even though he's not in the traditional experiential space that we're in. Like we've lived yeah. through it, uh, you know, from nothingness, from black and white televisions uh, to today. Right. Um, and I think that perspective is one which will really benefit us of how quickly uh, things evolve. And, you know, there's only so many times you wish you would have said, God, I wish I would have got on Netflix. I wish I would have been more interested in Twitter. You know, all these things were presented at the, the convergence device, which later became the smartphone. Uh, so, you know, my takeaway for today is, you know, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. Yeah. But you got to crawl. You, you can't just sit on the sideline and be a late, a late adopter anymore. It used to be, you, you know, early adopters was dangerous. That's why, you know, the PCE phone is not the iPhone, right? right. <laughs> Windows did not beat Apple, uh, but they were the early adopter. Well, before the, the iPhone came out, we had the PCE phone, the Windows CE device. Um, but you can't be a late adopter anymore. You got to be a, a crawl, walk, and then run person. And you've got to be more interested than interesting. You got to find the people, regardless of their age or experience, who sit in the situation you want to be in and ask for help. Guys like Mike Kravisky. Uh, you know, guys like Christian Biscardi, uh, people like Gary V, uh, who, you know, let them go ahead and spend the money, but dabble your toe with them 
uh, as they dive deep into it. I think, you know, being a late adopter doesn't work anymore. Uh, you got to have an early adoption crawl methodology in order to facilitate exponential. There's more results today than ever, as you know, the amount of wealth that's going to be created by those that dip their toe is going to be incredible. That's uh, my takeaway. Matt, come up here real quick into, into the show. Where are we at with Alvin? We're gonna to have to reschedule. Nick just let me know right now that they're not they're not responding. Okay, to we're us. we're gonna do something different today because it's the holidays. This is Matt Mendoza. He's the producer of the show. Both this show, he's also a producer of the TV show on Bloomberg. He uh, works out of that fancy studio and he made his bed. <laughs> been doing that since COVID. And uh, because he's not wearing a cowboy or a Dodger hat today, I picked the day to have him come on. Oh, sh- never mind. I'm not. Gonna <laughs> I'm going to give you an opportunity real quick. Ask Mike and I one question. Mm. Hmm. If both of you could get in the room with any entrepreneur in the world and ask them one question, who would it be and what would the question be? Yeah. So for me, it's Naval Ravikant. And the question would be, what did you learn from your biggest miss? And that goes to what Dave was talking about being, you know, you have to be involved now. I got to ask a question. Dave's taught humility i don't know who that is so you got to explain to me who that is all right he's one of the greatest serial entrepreneurs early investor in just about all of the new startups he's a founder of angel list and some other amazing things out there i'll send you some info on him incredible incredibly successful learn more very balanced i love it i i uh as far as an entrepreneur would choose um i can't decide between bezos or elon musk but i'll I'll Mm -hmm. go with uh Elon Musk, just because I think he's an alien. And so I'd love to, uh, I'd love to find out uh, coherence and consistency, uh, understand their practices for coherence, which is how do you remember and prioritize to do what you do? So remember and do, and then to the impact of consistent behavior uh, to get to you know, the, the, the space that they're in. Um, and then I'd also probably add in with, uh, Alon, what planet he was born in and how do I get to go there? And Dave, can I just add something to what you keep saying about consistency and, and how important that is? Because it ties into what you said about early adoption, like consistency, things are moving so fast today, like especially in tech and blockchain, and NFTs, crypto and all of that. If you miss a week, you've missed a month or, or more of traditional business. So that consistency is so important because you have to every day, like you say, the consistent, persistent pursuit. If you miss it, there's a chance you missed a lot if it's just a couple of days. Yeah. You know, I had one of my employees today, right. And, and he runs my, my TikTok, So he's supposed to set up every day to me, go live or whatever. Right. And he gives me this lane below the line, below the line means blame, shame, and justification. I didn't, you know, I wanted to give you respect. I wanted to respect your family. So I didn't, I didn't contact you while you're in Bora Bora. And I know even in our relationship, you know, people like, Oh, you're too busy or you know, I didn't want to bother you. You know, you got to say bullshit to that stuff, right? Like, you know, my employee, I told him straight out, don't put on to me respect, right? Don't tell me what's respectful or not. Just respectful to me is helping me make enough money for my family, right? Activity I get paid for. Allow me to be creative enough that, you know, wake up early enough or coordinate the schedule. So, you know, my son gave me a huge compliment yesterday. He said, daddy, I can't believe that you haven't worked all week. I, I can't believe you have done it, right? And so, 
and Matt said, wow, because he see, he knows what my calendar says, but I've coordinated the activity I get paid for. So it doesn't interfere with activity. I don't get paid for. I also doesn't interfere with what number one, my health to my family. And then third priority is the activity I get paid for. So, you know, you can make all the excuses you want, whether you work with me or work for me or work around me, but don't put it on me. Don't put it on me because consistency is everything, which is why I want to ask Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, the coherence and consistency components of what they do and the exponential results that they get from it. Uh, and those who are most consistent and I'm around the billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, entertainment, those, the Kevin Hart's of the world, the rocks of the world, they're, they're not just talented. They got talented because they're coherent and consistent. And, you know, the other people are just making excuses, living in blame, shame and justification. I saw a post from from Elon the other day and it said, I've been working 16 hours a day every day for the last 20 years and people still call me lucky. <laughs> it's like, me too, brother. That's six, it. Power 64, email me. I'll give you the key to double the productivity, efficiency and effectiveness. You can have 64 hours of productivity a day, seven days a week. That's 56 days of productivity every single week when other people are getting five at the best. You're 11 and a half times better in productivity over 20 years. Now wonder the alien Musk. Now wonder Jeff Bezos. Now wonder Dave Meltzer and Mike Mamola are sprinting ahead because of coherence and consistency. All right, Mikey, I'm going to leave you to that. I love you. I'll see you on Friday. More and more loves you. My family loves you. Please send Likewise. all my love to your family. Enjoy. Stay healthy. Thank you. Me too. Mikey has the mindset. He he vaccinated he vaccinated himself through mindset, and that's why he hasn't gotten to COVID ever. That man is a mindset master. Mikey Mamola, an alliteration of M's, the money man himself. It's all M's here today on Office Hours. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Email me if you want the power of 64 or to join the 14-day gratitude challenge. Change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Stay blessed. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Maddie. Peace.